Good morning, everyone. Great to be together uh, again. And as Todd said, we'll be in Genesis again in our beginnings series. So turn with me to Genesis chapter one, if you would. And parents, uh, your children up through fifth grade and beyond are welcome to stay here. We also provide some age-specific teaching if you'd like them to go to that now. You can take them back to uh, the patio where there'll be some leaders there waiting. We are a few weeks in now to considering the book of Genesis. Our objective this morning in particular is to meet with God as we finish out the creation week. That is Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. We'll finish that section out uh, this morning. If you're new to a church, new to the Bible, new to, to Christianity, thanks for, for being here with us. We gather on Sundays because we remember that in the first century, Jesus was resurrected on Sunday morning, and he is the, the center of our faith. And one of our habits is we'll open the scriptures that in them we can continue to hear what God is speaking to us. If you don't have a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, there you should be able to find one, and you can turn past those introductory pages to where we'll be today, Genesis chapter 1. As you'll remember, if you've been with us, this opening section beautifully records that God created the universe in six days. He formed on days one, two, and three, and then he filled what he formed on days four, five, and six. Today we'll slow down again and visit together about the seventh day. And then we'll briefly trace its development through the rest of the Bible. As we do so, we'll discover that the implications of that day of rest that God took are many for us, especially if you are someone who struggles with notions of work or rest or both. I'd like to begin at the end of chapter one just so that we can pick back up into the flow. So we'll, we'll finish in the last verse, which is the end of the sixth day, and then move into the seventh. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Those words conclude the Bible's opening, what in many ways is the prologue to the rest of the book of Genesis. On the sixth day, God created, he finished his creative activity by making humans, male and female, people in his image, designed by God to represent him on earth. With the close of the creation of people, God's creative work ceased. Now, before we blaze ahead and talk about the seventh day, would you ponder with me for just a moment about what God accomplished in those six days? Merely by speaking, because God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, merely by speaking, God formed the cosmos. As he said words, stars burst into existence. Planets were created. 
We still don't know how many. Earth was placed just close enough to the sun that there would be warmth and sunlight, but not too close that that planet would be incinerated, except for in Phoenix in the summer. <laughs> Gravity held Adam and Eve and the animals on the land and in the sea. The earth spun perfectly. The air was clean. Adam and Eve, who we'll learn about next week, as chapter 2 zooms back in on day 6 to give us more detail, Adam and Eve were in harmony with God and with each other. The, the lion laid down with the lamb. There was no sin, no diseases, no abuse, no disappointments, no sadness, nothing negative of any kind. Formed and filled, everything was right. The creator had made his creation in a calm, created cosmos. And as we read, God looked over what he made, and for the first time he said it was very good. And then as the seventh day began, we come across something that, at least to me, is surprising, maybe even shocking. God rested. God rested. I say surprising because uh, omnipotence or one with all power doesn't need rest. It's not as though God was exhausted from his creation, from his creative work. He never gets tired. He's never confused. He's never overwhelmed. He never lacks anything. God is self-sufficient. So what then does it mean that he rested? And in particular, why does that matter to us? Well, verses 2 and 3 begin the process of telling us. They'll tell us why God rested, and then throughout the rest of the Bible, we can pull this thread, and we'll find why it matters to us. Now, if this strikes you just right here from the beginning as perhaps interesting, but irrelevant. Well, hang with me, and I hope you'll find it encouraging, at least by the end. If we look closely at verses 2 and 3, we'll find two very remarkable things. First, the seventh day was very different than the others. And second, the way the day is described. It, it's described in what can only rightly be called a literary masterpiece. We're designed to see something here of who God is and how marvelous his work is, even in his rest. Let me th let's think together about both those things. The seventh day was different than the others. Later today, you might sit down with whoever you live with or get together with a friend sometime this week and read over the whole passage and make a list of every way that the seventh day was different. But let me tell you a few of them, the more significant ones. First is that in the first six days, there's a creation formula. There's this phrase used, and God said, and then he made things. But when we reach the seventh day, that's not there. 
Furthermore, at the conclusion of the seventh day, there is no concluding formula either. All the other days end by saying, and there was evening and morning the first day or the second day or the third day. That's not here. Another way it's different is the seventh day doesn't have a friend. All the other days did. Day one is buddies with day four. Day two with day five. Day three with day six. This formed and filling pattern. But the seventh stands alone. And furthermore, all the other days are described saying the day once. But here, the phrase the seventh day is repeated three times. And then probably most significant is that God blessed this day, the only day he blessed. And God set it apart as holy. For some reason, God went out of his way to say this day is going to be very different than the other days. Notice also that verses 2 and 3 are masterful. If you look closely, you'll notice that there are four lines of thought. Unfortunately, there's some periods there that make it a little more difficult to see it. But in the original language that this was written in, in Hebrew, there is a very deliberate pattern that is emerging. The first three of the four lines each have exactly seven words in them. And in the middle of them is the words seventh day. Let me show you on the screen if we take the literal word order and hopefully that will be helpful. So God finished by the seventh day his work which he did. That's the first phrase. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he did. Now, I, was, I sucked at math. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I was horrible at it. But I recognize that's more than seven words. But the Hebrew that it's translated from is seven, okay? The third line, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And then finally, the conclusion, because on it, he rested from all his work that God created to do. What's the point? The point is the author went out of his way, laboring to say this is a special day, a unique day, a day of rest, a perfect day. It was on that day, you see, that God rested. Now, that's a weird word when it comes to God. It's weird because, as I said earlier, he doesn't need rest. And... We think of the word rest very differently than the passage is talking about it. For us, rest is what for some of us we live for. Rest for some of us is what we only do when we're so exhausted we're now sick. We say things like get some rest. And by it we mean go to sleep. Or go binge watch YouTube. Or go buy some fast food and then go home and binge watch YouTube. Rest, for many of us, is connected only to a real or perceived depletion of mental, physical, and emotional energy. 
Rest then is either the idol that you live for or it is the solution to exhaustion, the regrettable necessity of recharging, perhaps even the goal of life. But that doesn't fit in this passage. God doesn't need any of that. The scriptures tell us that God never rests, that he never sleeps, that he never slumbers. He has all power. Even after six creative days, I mean, imagine the power that went forth from God to make everything there is. Even after that, he did not find himself depleted, needing a fill-up. God doesn't tap out after overworking. He never needs a weekend to recover. So why did he rest? This is not the rest of exhaustion, brothers and sisters. This rest is the rest of completion, of delight, of satisfaction. God did what he set out to do. And then after doing what he set out to do, he ceased doing it in order to enjoy it. God saw what he made. He saw it to be perfect. He saw it was exactly according to his specifications. And so he ceased. Literally, that's what the word rest means. God ceased from his creative activity. He rested from the labor of making the cosmos. Now make no mistake, God still did stuff on the seventh day. He didn't say, he didn't do what the deist said he did. He didn't spin the world, get it going, and then peace out. He's gone, uninvolved. Now that's not Christianity. The scriptures tell us that God sustains the universe even now. The gospels tell us that the Father is working, and he's working even till today. God never stopped working. And yet, he did cease from his work of creating. He ceased the kind of labor he had been doing in order to enjoy what's been accomplished. Notice further that God describes the day as one that he made holy and that he blessed. Both are very significant as the Bible unfolds. If you let your eyes glance back to verse 22, you can double check me, but God on that day told the animals they were blessed. And then in verse 28, God told people that they were blessed. But it's here and only here that God blessed a day. Well, how are we to interpret that? Well, we let the first two blessings interpret the third one. Why did God bless the animals and why God, did God bless his people? Well, he blessed the animals and he blessed his people so that ordinarily they would be fruitful and multiply. And so that means in some way, shape, or form, the seventh day was to be a day of fruit, a day of fruitfulness, a life-giving day. And in particular, what's fascinating about this is 
that there was in our text, remember, no evening and morning on the seventh day. Why? Well, almost certainly it's because we're still in the seventh day. It has never stopped. It has been going on and on and on and on. So God blessed the day. He also made it holy. Holy, if you've read your Bible much, is a word that comes up all over the place. Very significant word. This is the first time it's ever used. Holy has the basic meaning of marking something off as distinct, as unique, as devoted, as special. That's what God did for that day. So we could summarize all of this by saying, after completing the creation of the cosmos, God rested, setting aside the day and blessing the seventh day. Now I've done this long enough to know and can read the room a little bit to know that a few of you, or perhaps more than a few, are beginning to doze off. Like, so what? It's, it's interesting God rested, and I want to know everything that God says about himself in his word. But is there anything for us here beyond this? I'd love to take that with you and move through some more passages. Now, frankly, this will feel more like teaching than preaching, but I don't know how to fix that. So would you just be gracious to me and let's roll up our sleeves, see? And try to do some work together. For some of you, I'm gonna talk about some things you never thought of before, wasn't a problem at all, and uh, I might even create some more questions. For others of you, I wanna to try to land some, land some planes on things that have been confusing in your mind as you read the scriptures. Maybe those planes have come close to crashing into each other and you've struggled to see how theological pieces fit together. But in the end, we will circle all the way back to the beginning and make some application that is relevant for every one of us. You see, this issue of rest, of cessation, of completion, of a seventh day, becomes something that is a springboard that develops throughout the Bible. There's a discipline called biblical theology. And what it does is it takes themes that emerge in the early parts of scripture and they expand throughout the rest of the Bible to reach their fitting conclusion. And so we're gonna do some of that together. In particular, I wanna show you through the scriptures how God's rest on the seventh day became in the Old Testament, a pattern to repeat. And then later it became an invitation to all humanity. And then finally, it becomes a promise to people of faith. So let's take those three things. First, a pattern to repeat. If you spent much time in the Old Testament, then you'll remember that after Noah and the flood, which we'll see in Genesis later this year, after the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, after Babel, after Joseph, 
after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God rescued his people out of slavery. And he brought them to the base of Mount Sinai, where he made a covenant with them. Those of you who are here last year will remember we walked through those stories in Exodus. Part of this covenant that God made was ten commandments that were designed to summarize all the other laws that he would give them. These were ways of telling his rescued people, because I've rescued you, here's how to live holy lives. Here's how to be set apart from everyone else in a good way. One of those commands is related to this seventh day of creation. Here's a passage from uh, Exodus chapter 20. This is the fourth of those 10 commands. Remember the Sabbath day. The root word of Sabbath is the word rest. God rested and that became a day, a Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Here, for the first time, the Jews were commanded as a nation to keep the Sabbath and to ensure that everyone and everything else with them also did the same thing. This Sabbath was to be a day of ceasing, of rest, a day unlike any other, a day holy, a day blessed. Does that all sound familiar? It's because it's reaching back, as we see there in that last verse, that it became the blessed day that God made holy. The Sabbath in the Old Testament, as it moves forward, had two main functions. And interestingly, even today, if you go to uh, Israel, in many, many places, Sabbath is still observed. And one of the craziest things is, if you get in an elevator in a major airport, there is uh, a, not a major airport, a, a hotel, then there will often be what's called a Shabbat elevator. This is an elevator you walk into and you can't and don't push any buttons. And then it stops at floor one, floor two, floor three, floor four. Why? Well, because they've interpreted this, I don't think it's what it actually means, but they've interpreted this to mean that even pushing a button is work. Now, we'll get back to that idea in a few minutes. But originally, this command by God was to be a blessing, to be a life-giving day, physically, emotionally, spiritually, a day to, to have satisfaction in who God is and in what God has done. If we try to think about that a little bit more carefully together, then this two primary function that the Sabbath held is that number one, it reminded Israel that God is their creator. 
and they are the creation. Church, that distinction could not be more important. In what ways in the last week have you been tempted to live as though you are the creator? In what ways has, have you usurped God's designs? We, we do this all the time. If you're taking notes, you might write down, in, in what ways is the creator different from that which he has made? We talked last week about the ways we're similar, that we're in his image. But in what ways are we different? That's enough to have both lunch and dinner conversations about. Beloved, when we try to be in charge of our own lives, when we try to write our own rules, when we try to move past the boundaries God has set, And we're forgetting we're creatures, not creator. This rhythm of productivity for six days and then resting on the seventh drove home this distinction of creator created for Israel. Now they had a whole day to remember him, to recall him as creator, to enjoy him and each other, to delight in him, to be reminded that work is not God. God is God. God is their creator. But that's not all the Sabbath was for. In the book of Deuteronomy, which is a, a repeating of many of the things in the book of Exodus, this idea is built on and we get a second reason for Sabbath. Now again, I know some of you are like, blah, 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 blah. But others, this is a very confusing issue for people in which lots of different denominations and traditions and religions think about it differently. And so I want to try to address at least those who are aware of that. This second case of the Sabbath being spoken of here in Deuteronomy 5 says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Sabbath, you see, became a sign of a redeemed people. Other nations didn't have Sabbath. God's people had Sabbath. They had him as creator, all people, but Israel had him as once he was recreating. He rescued them out of slavery. That's the fact. And they were to rest in him. One way to do that was to stop normal life, cease normal work, and remember him, devote themselves to him. This pattern six and one became the most observable indicator of the entire Old Testament covenant. It was a blessing, a perpetual life-giving, a reminder that Work is not God. Effort is not God. Hustle is not God. Only God is God. And his work in creation and salvation is meant to be enjoyed. That's what Genesis through Malachi does with seven, with Sabbath, with rest. 
But as we turn the pages into the New Testament, we find that unfortunately, by the time we reach the Gospels, Sabbath had become anything but a day of rest. It had become a day not of rest, but of horrendous burden. Religious leaders who aren't listed in the Old Testament, that grow up in the period of time between when the Old Testament ends and the New Testament began, Pharisees and scribes, these people began probably with very good motive, but they eventually added law after law after law after law, rule after rule after rule after rule, on top of the commandments that God gave. Their logic was, if this is the commandment, I don't want to break it, then I'm going to make another one that will keep me from breaking that one. And I think they meant well. But church, when we add rules on top of what God has commanded, then eventually what happens is way out here, these rules are understood to be exactly the same thing as the, what God had made. And these become more and more external. And they lose heart. They lose the heart of why the commandment was given in the first place. And Sabbath for these Pharisees and scribes, many of them, it became a day to flaunt their religiosity and to weigh people down by their burdens. That's where we came up with things like a Shabbat elevator, as though that is work. It's not what God was talking about. He meant cease your normal activities. These religious leaders twisted and added to God's word so severely that the seventh day was not a day of rest. It was a day of fear that I might in some way, shape, or form work and therefore disobey God. In essence, these religious leaders degenerated the command and their whole religion into one of works righteousness, oddly making even rest a way to attempt to work for God's favor. How exhausting. I'm thankful not to live then and instead to be today. Now, it's in this context that Jesus came on the scene. And one of the ways he shared his gospel was to say this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, it's true you can apply that to, I just finished a huge project at school. Or uh, I'm physically depleted from a hard week at work. You can't apply that like that. But that isn't directly what Jesus was talking about. Instead, Jesus is saying, stop striving to be right with me. Cease your frenetic activity trying to earn something from God. Come to me and I'll give you Sabbath. I'll give you rest. I'll give you salvation. 
Isn't that beautiful? This then is an invitation to all humanity. Come to Jesus, all who are weighed down by trying to earn right standing with God. Come to Jesus, all who are exhausted from the idol of people pleasing. Come to Jesus, all who are broken, weary, suffocating in guilt and in shame. Come to Jesus, for he will give you rest. This is the cessation of the exhaustion of trying to earn the favor of God. And this rest, of course, is what the gospel is all about. Friend, if you've responded to the gospel, are you experiencing the rest that it provides? Not on one day a week, but all the time? Do you know of a, an internal rest that's yours even while you're busy doing things? You can. Because when we see that God's given us true rest, that we need not earn anything from him, but we've in Christ been given all that we need for life and godliness, then we can do our labors in such a way that we're not trying to earn anything from anybody else in doing them. We can be content in how God's made us and in who we are. We can rest on the inside even while doing on the outside. This rest is available to everyone because Jesus hung on the cross bearing all the sin and cried out, it is finished. This rest is redemption accomplished, complete. We need not perform for God. Now, a big question many people ask as they begin reading the scriptures, not here in bits and pieces, not only hearing them on Sunday morning, not just the passages you find easy to understand and get warm fuzzies from, but reading through the Bible. A very common question people will wonder eventually is, are New Testament Christians commanded to keep the Sabbath? Are we, who are here after Christ came, commanded to keep a day of cessation from work like they were? Well, it is true that in the New Testament, there is no command to take Saturday or even Sunday as a day to cease from all activities. Things do shift from Saturday to Sunday in terms of the worship of the people of God. And that happens very quickly. You can see it in the book of Acts. But the way to think about Sabbath is that Jesus fulfilled it, that it's part of what was pointing ahead to salvation that is now ours in Christ. We're commanded, yes, to gather to remember the resurrection, and we do so. But what you do with the rest of the day is up to you. This habit of gathering as the people of God has been going on ever since the resurrection. But Sunday isn't simply a shift of Saturday, which was the Old Testament Sabbath, to Sunday. Instead, a close reading of the New Testament will show us that the Sabbath has been transformed into what the day 
originally anticipated, namely eternal rest, salvation in Jesus Christ. This is why, we won't read it on the screens, but write it down if this is something you have questions about. This is why passages like Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, very explicitly say that there is no one day better or different than another. That the Sabbath isn't necessary in a weekly rhythm as a commandment. However, it writes it in such a way that there's a freedom. And so if you find it useful, helpful, edifying, to take a day in which you try to do nothing in terms of your normal work, then you are free in Christ to do that. And none of us should wag our finger at you and say, that's foolish. But if you don't, if you do rest in some way, shape, or form, but if you don't take an entire day, then that's fine too. That's what Colossians 2 tells us. Sabbath rest, you see, as the Bible progresses, is not just a day. It's an invitation for all people to respond to Jesus and enjoy the rest of the gospel. And it is ultimately a promise of eternal rest to all people of faith. You see, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 4 and 5, hang with me a few more minutes, and then I'll spitfire a bunch of application and we'll end, okay? In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 flesh out this theme, showing its ultimate end. It is, if, if, if we take uh, the end of chapter 1 in Genesis, the beginning of chapter 2, then it gets bigger, 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 and then its culmination is described in Hebrews 4 and 5. Let me show you just two verses there, Hebrews 4 and 5. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, meaning whoever has responded to that invitation from Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden from works-based living, then you have entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. It's a beautiful passage. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But here's the essence of it. Christian, you have already entered the rest that salvation supplies. God's great promise is that you are already at rest in him. Cease striving for salvation and to know that he is God. Rest in him. Christian, every single day, enjoy the truest Sabbath rest. Know by grace through faith that you have been made right with God. And that affects literally everything else you do. It makes even hard things less hard because you're not doing those hard things on your own or trying to squeeze out of them stuff that can't be dripped from them. For example, you can in your work never make yourself ultimately valuable and important and significant. You've already been given that in Christ. 
It's who you are because of who he is. This rest is ours in the Lord Jesus. And Hebrews 4 tells us that one day we will more fully, completely, and finally enjoy that rest when Christ returns. Now, thank you. You have allowed me to geek out and treat this just this one day more like a seminary classroom. Um, you've done great. Now, what does this mean? What do we do with it? We remember the creator-creation distinction. We don't live our lives as though we're in charge. We look to him. We enjoy him. We, we follow him. We obey him. And there is room for you to disagree with me about this. But although Christians are never commanded to keep the Sabbath law of the Old Testament, because that law is based on something that came before the fall, meaning before Genesis 3 is Genesis 1 and 2, because God did it, and that then set a pattern that he later commanded and has indeed ultimately fulfilled, I still think there's an underlying creation principle that we would be wise to follow. There, that is, it would be good for you, whether you're a student or an adult, a stay-at-home mom, or retired. It would be good that you have a pattern in some way, shape, or form of ceasing from your normal labors for some period of time to remember God in his creation and in what he's made and to reflect on your salvation. Before sin entered the world, that's what God did. And as people made in his image, it makes sense to me that we would, in some way, also have that pattern in our lives. There is a deep-seated, unwavering satisfaction to us, for us, in us, available all the time. If you are grinding yourself into a nub by always doing, 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 then you might not be enjoying what's yours in Christ. You might not be, as they say, stopping to smell the roses. I want to encourage you to. For others, you think that, or you are tempted to think that rest is all there is, that nothing should be difficult, that sweat is bad, that thinking hard is evil. And friend, that creation pattern can also be useful to you. Six and one. Six, productive. One, cessation and rest. That is still the way we're supposed to live. We do have commands about that. Work is good. Being productive 
is godly. And so whichever one of those you needed to hear, you can forget the other. All right? Friends, there is rest for the people of God. May we enjoy it and help each other do the same. Lord, thank you for a church that would labor through a message like this. And I pray it wouldn't only be labor, that there would be rest in it. Would you speak to each one in whatever way they need to be ministered to? That's what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit shows us Christ, that we might see him and enjoy him. And so today, whether we need to be told, you've got to pause and to breathe. Or whether we need to be told, oh, you're being lazy. It's time to grow up. Or whether we be, need to be told, the gospel is available. Repent and respond in faith. Whether we need to be told, I've been, I, I, I am saved, but I've slipped back into thinking that somehow I got to earn stuff from God. God, please use your word to pierce our hearts, to build us up, that we might live in the joy that is offered us in Christ and proclaim your name with authenticity. Pray this in Jesus' name.